Welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. It's Joey here, your host, and today I'm joined by Chloe Bethany, aka Movement Enthusiast. Chloe is a coach here at our gym, Jungle Botany, and we have a really cool chat about her training journey, what she did before she got into the movement realm, and then some other more interesting aspects of her character. Please enjoy today's episode, and hey, if you do dig the show, please do a little favor for us to help to support it. Share the episode with a friend or pass on any other episode that you think your friend would like. It helps to get the word out there and grow our listener base. We appreciate you. Let's get into the episode. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you. I would like to ask you how you first found your way to our gym. Because if I think back to when you first showed up, it was a bit of a mystery to me. I was. You were just kind of here training and then... Just rolled in with the storm. Yeah, and then, you know, Mm. now you're like part of the fabric. Yep. How did you get here originally? So I took a holiday for a week where I came here and then went to the Blue Mountains. I became friends with Kyron on Instagram and he was like, come check out the space. So I did. I don't know why he had an accent there, but... (laughs) (laughs) he tends to mumble (laughs) doesn't come through so well on the show Uh, funny funny so yeah so i had connected with him online just from coaches being coaches and then yeah came here trained for a little bit went to the blue mountains and then went back home and decided that i would move to train here slash i wanted to work here wow no one knew that here yet right yeah, well, we maybe just, they did, I kind of just thought you were kind of hanging out for a bit. Yeah. Didn't know that the intentions the were that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, where were you living at the time? Like where was home? Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. And were you, um, like it seems like a bit of a call to make on a sort of whim. Mm-hmm. Were you at a bit of a loose end at home or are you just yeah, so free-spirited just, like that? Mm. <laughs> 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 it's a loaded question. Uh just a bunch of life events had happened in so that would that would have been yeah the beginning of this year yeah so the beginning of this year and last year i just had yeah lots of different life things happen and my time in melbourne kind of expired it felt and i just was ready to do something new uh, ready for change and yeah this felt like a good move also the movement community is kind of lacking in Melbourne that could be because of the lockdowns that we had but I just found that there was no real communities in my close proximity so yeah I mean there's a movement scene kind of rising in Geelong um, which was in Torquay and stuff which is pretty cool but they're out of the city yeah right yeah, that's like Wollongong vibes okay yeah always a bit of a mystery to me because Melbourne you know culturally seems to have like a lot of cool things going on mm. it's it's strange that it doesn't have more of a prominent movement scene i question maybe the weather it's, yeah maybe maybe the weather gets because real cold gets wet yeah it's yeah it's real fucking hot yeah but there is a crossfit vibe there right yeah but i never ventured into the realms of crossfit once you do your time in the movement realm, maybe you'll graduate to CrossFit some point down the track. Maybe. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> What's, um, what about, who do I know from the movement scene down there? Do you know like Fail? Oscar and Nikki? 
I know Oscar. Yeah. I don't know him, but I know of Oscar. Yep. I know Fayon's down there. Fayon, yeah. There's some cool individual movers down there. Yeah. Um, Oscar has his own little garage thing. Uh, but yeah, other there's no huge communities. Right. Well, you know. Yeah, like no sort of gathering space. Yeah. And I really value tribe, family. That's, yeah, that's my bread and butter, I think. Is, tell me about what Melbourne's like post-COVID because it's very easy with like speaking to certain people and looking at certain parts of the media. Mm. Obviously, you guys had some gnarly lockdowns, like gnarlier than Sydney. Mm. But, you know, there's some people that are like completely up in arms about it and, oh, it was fucked and this city's wrecked and whatever. Is it, how do you feel about all that? Well, I can't comment on what the city's like now because I was only there for really two or three months and then I left. But um, it was, it's more just a, it's like undersurface trauma vibes. So I think people are just traumatized from what happened and it just comes out in ways that you wouldn't expect because when I went out, the the bars are back, the food is still beautiful, that's still a thing. But, I mean, nightlife hasn't really been a part of my life for the better part of, like, two years, so that wasn't really ever an issue for me Yeah. Um, through COVID. The trust between people is a bit weird. Like, people just don't really know how to, like, be around each other, I found. And there's just – it was really dividing because you didn't want to have an opinion because it was just – Everyone was so over it. But more than – we were the most locked down place in the whole entire world. Wow. Which is just wild. That is. Like almost a full year in total. That's pretty gnarly when you put it like that. Yeah. And I was lucky, you know, I was working as a nurse. Well, <laughs> luck, luck, I don't know. Unfortunate. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, clearly it did a number because I'm not, not a nurse <laughs> anymore. So <laughs> good luck, bad luck. But it was, yeah, I was at work, so I was still busy. And, but it, it was a real heavy time. And I remember working in emergency when the first wave was kind of coming through and it was eerie. It was so quiet. People weren't coming into emergency. And then people who needed to as well. So it was just the backlog and the back toll that it's taken is just monumental. Why were they not coming in initially? They were scared. They were so scared. Really? They were scared to be in a place where they could catch the big C. Oh, so people that were, had C. other emergency issues. Yeah, weren't coming in. Ah, how yeah. strange. And then it just all kind of came like a backlog and, yeah. And the, the systems kept chopping and changing. So, you know, at work you just never knew what you were walking into or, yeah, what was going to be required of you that day. You could have potentially 16 staff furloughed, which means that they're off work because they were exposed, so we were understaffed as well. But then the same kind of thing was happening everywhere else in every other department in a way. Every other department in the hospital or, or in, like in businesses the, yeah, in general? Yeah, yeah, so everyone was experiencing the same thing but different. To an extent though, because, I mean, thinking about it like from our business point of view, it was... There wasn't like many outbreaks, mm. you know, because you could kind of yeah. protect things and 
whereas hospitals, by nature of what they're doing, had to have outbreaks. Yeah. Stuff yeah, happened. So it was, yeah, like I, I, I don't know, I just felt that, like whatever, every, every industry had its own unique stuff to deal Jeez. with. Mm. But it seems like nurses and medical staff in hospitals had a real fucking tough time. Yeah, and sometimes it wasn't even because of COVID cases. It was just because of everything that was happening because of it. But, like, yeah, that's from very low-down observation and experience. Like, I'm, I'm not all over the systemic issue that it had over hospitals and things like that. But Tell me about the movement piece for you. Mm-hmm. Um, explain to me how you got into it. Mm-hmm. Like where you like maybe you know if your training was elsewhere prior to that, how that evolved, and then kind of paint a bit of a picture of what the movement thing looks like for people who are listening who are not part of the scene. Okay, like what it is currently. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of individual training. You know, you're kind of doing it by yourself. So if there's movers or people who are interested in calisthenics or locomotion. Generally, they get an online coach and they're doing it in a park or they're looking like a weirdo in the fitness first gym, like myself, training Yohim style movements, which is all this weird loaded mobility stuff in, in your commercial gyms. So that's kind of what it looks like. There's, there was one gym that I went to beyond movement, which was that kind of what started it all for me. But that was. Oh, uh, with Jason? Yeah. 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 But that was like an hour away for me. Okay. So you could only get to like two a week. And even then, that was, that was tough. And they're doing a lot of rings, handstands. Rings, handstands. So there are little pockets and there are some practitioners that do like eight-week workshops or uh, not workshops but um, groups of like handstand. I know Oscar also do, does like garage movement stuff, but you kind of have to know what you're looking for. You wouldn't just stumble across, oh, a gym in Botany called Jungle Brothers, I wonder what that's about. It's more like you would follow particular people on Instagram. You would already well and truly be established in some kind of movement or interested. Where here, I feel like you might just stumble across this weird and wonderful place that does everything in, in one one roof. Yeah, like it's, yeah, here it's open, the other what you're so on about it's kind of in a way it's closed yeah because yeah. You, you have to be in the scene to know yeah. the thing yeah but there are there is a really good rock climbing scene in melbourne um so that's actually probably where my movement journey started when i kind of shifted from conventional gym into uh rock climbing and yoga but yeah so there's good culture around the climbing uh which would probably be similar to here but yeah, in terms of movement, you have to know someone or you'd be getting your own coaching individually, kind of just soloing it. You were you had a stint in conventional training? Like, I did. Yeah, right on. What kind yeah. of like bodybuilding type stuff? Yeah, just really bad bodybuilding. Is that where a lot of the shoulder girth and the thickness comes from? I actually think that my muscles matured in my calisthenics practice. But yeah, definitely... I did build a lot of muscle in those formative years of okay. training. How do you reflect on those those years now? Oh, they were so pivotal. They were important. They were, they're funny to look back on, but they're, it was the building blocks, you know. Even if I was 
wasting three hours, I was still going to the gym every, you know, every every day or five or six days out of the week. So I was already building a devoted practice or a discipline. I was building muscle mass, which has now given me better access to skills or, you know, jumping into certain things. So, yeah, there was a lot of – it was, like, really good foundations. Bit of waste of time. <laughs> Just, like, going in there and YOLOing it, really. But it was – yeah, it was definitely, like – it set me up for what I do now. What age did you start lifting weights? Mm, would have been, like, 17. Right on. Yeah. I actually started – Muay Thai when I was in Queensland in Brisbane because I was like I don't want to be the girl that complains about how she looks and not do anything so then I went and did like Muay Thai at the PCA PCYC gyms I don't know if you guys have them but they're yeah. they're solid yeah <laughs> they're always so like old shitty yeah, equipment yeah. but the gyms like have a lot of like they always Character. have a vibe yeah. yeah and the the coach was like this big guy with a permanent purple eye like huge cauliflower ears, bung knees and just such Tracksuit? Yeah. Right on. Bogan. Yeah. And I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And it was just, again, it was the community thing because you, you were training with like really rugged humans. Yeah. Just, yeah, because it's quite affordable. Yeah. Yeah, so Do that me a favour. Can you keep that a bit closer to your, yes. to your mouth? Thanks. There we go. Yeah, good. Uh. Yeah, so, and I was kind of doing a little bit of weights at that gym, but not seriously. And then when I moved to Melbourne from Queensland, I didn't really find a gym that I liked because it was really serious fighters and stuff. And I was like, I just want the PZYC gym. Yeah, and then I just started normal training. So that would have been like 17. It's kind of exceptional for a girl of that age to sort of, you know, like it sounds a bit silly to say that, but to mm. to be going to like an old gym, like a PCYC and pushing some weights and doing that whole thing. Like were you – do you agree with that statement, first of all? I actually haven't thought of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't – I mean, I think, you know, teenage strength training lends itself to like – to males. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's a bit of a guy thing, like I want to put on mm-hmm. muscle or whatever. Um, of course it is, It is. you know, there are, you know, it's just, I would say women are the minority, females are the mm. minority there. Um, but yeah, like, so you weren't aware that it was kind of exceptional at the time? No. Yeah, cool. <laughs> no, it was just what I did. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Like, I, 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 I'm a strong supporter that it's important for everyone, mm. right? Um, but yeah, I think back to what it was like for me and it was, it was all us guys like standing around like reading Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia and how do we get big when really we were all just dweebs and we just (laughs) needed to wait until we actually started to go through puberty. (laughs) So good. Yeah. I think also having two older brothers, I always wanted to be, I wasn't a tomboy, but I wanted to, yeah, hold my own. I think that's always been a little thing of mine how that I've had to prove to no one <laughs> but yeah do they lift weights no <laughs> okay but your dad sometimes yeah he went through phases okay yeah. yep he went through phases so 
yeah, but that was probably me taking his lead in some ways. So movement scene, you found your way into this thing where it's like more about an individual practice. Mm-hmm. It becomes more – it becomes kind of serious then because you're paying a coach. Yes. So you're paying – you were being coached by – Yohim. Yohim. Okay. Yohim Hildebrand? Hilderson. Hilderson. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, where's he based out of? <laughs> no, part of the, the Europe? Belgium. 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 Okay, yeah. cool. He's moved now, but he was in Belgium. Okay. At the time. Are you still studying under him? No, we chat sometimes and I want to actually do another phase with him, but not currently. Okay, that's cool. Um, and so what does it then become? Like, tell me how it goes from being, you know, you're someone that goes to the gym, you do a few sessions, a few classes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now you have this one-to-one relationship with an online coach. What are the expectations like in that situation? You show up. And you do the work. <laughs> yeah. But not in a regimented sense. I think that's why I stuck with Johan for so long was that it was very intuitive. You, he didn't want you to push certain limits for the sake of glory. You know, it was just really about fortifying the body and taking it to its limits, but in a way that is sustainable. Uh, so, for me personally it was training I think four to five times a week with his program and then videoing like quite a lot of the different exercises and then sending them to him for feedback and then we either change the the program or he's giving me key things to work on or yeah progress with mad Mm. And was that, like, I guess at that stage, like, you're working on rings, you're working on handstands, like, you're doing all this cool shit. I was actually just pure mobility okay. with him. Um, and then everything else was extra. So sometimes I would train, like, twice just so I could get in a ring session or just so I could start playing with handstands. But, yeah, rings and body weight strength, so just, like, pull-ups and dips were my, my main focus. Yeah, I only really played with handstands for like six months while I was training at Beyond Movement. Um, but then when I stopped training there, I kind of just stopped with the handstands. So that was only really like six months. Okay. And then the other stuff was ongoing, just continuously working on the pull and push. And what was guiding your what was guiding the training on the that extra stuff you were doing, the calisthenics and myself. Right, yeah. just picking stuff up online and yeah, okay, yeah. More, I just kind of kept it simple. Like I really just wanted a strong pull, and I wanted to be able to do dips. So it doesn't really get much more complicated than other other than just doing it. Strong pull, meaning like pull ups. Yeah, yeah, pull ups, chin ups. Yeah, mm. but I, even then, sometimes that would fall to the wayside if you know I, I had time pressures, working shift work. If I could only do one session, I would favor the mobility. Right. Yeah. Did you, uh, were you naturally quite mobile? Uh, I've seen you do some freaky shit. (laughs) Um, Yes and no. Like there's, my body really likes to backbend, but I still, like I wasn't doing what I, it it took me a while to get to where I am now. Middles, I sucked at for a little while. In comparison to others though, just disclaimer, I'm not, you know, 
I am very grateful that my body responds well to mobility training. So it's not like I've really had to grind as hard as some other people to get certain end rein positions. But yeah, middles were really challenging for me. Yeah. That's middle splits for the uninitiated. Yes. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of most folks have a predisposition towards something in the training realm, don't they? Mm. Be it a specific aspect of mobility or a specific aspect of strength or gas tank, whatever. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think it's like, you know, um, yeah, like you're always grateful for the things that you're kind of blessed with in a yeah. way, but it's also like, well, whatever. Yeah. Most of us aren't blessed with all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the mobility definitely came more naturally. Okay. Or enjoyably. Enjoyably? Sure. More enjoyably? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's enjoyment fully. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> fully sick. Um, okay, and so then looking at like sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I want to get into your, your time here in Sydney. But before that, like – some of the stuff you're saying, right, like you want to get a strong pull, you want to get a strong push, mm-hmm. you know, you want to develop these sort of basic capacities in your view. How do you then see those things as a coach now? And I know that you have, we're talking before about um, you do do some work specifically with women, like that's mm-hmm. not your only thing, but that's yeah. one of the facets of your business. Um, where do you see the importance or like how do you educate the people you coach with that? Like is it, hey, if you work with me, you're getting a strong pull and a strong push and this is what's important? Or what's, what is it that people gain from that? That's definitely what it turns into. I feel like it always starts with asking them what they, what they want. and then, But then they're so along for the ride. So I kind of just... Generally, the first time or the first phase that we go through together will be a strength and conditioning phase because you want your body to be strong, to hold end range positions and skills. So you want strong shoulders before you're pushing them into crazy mobility ranges, in my opinion. Um, So just naturally the way that it always starts, if they don't have any training prior, which a lot of them don't, is with weights, is with isometric, eccentric movements. And that's generally how we start the strength and conditioning stuff with a splash of mobility because it's fun. Yeah, okay. So it's like get strong first, build that base. Yeah. And then from there, does it then start to go towards their individual goals or are their goals really your goals? Or are their goals reflective of what it is that you're interested in? Uh, This is a funny one, isn't it? To reflect on as a coach. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, man, everyone that comes to me just wants to do what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean... But there is merit to that because they see what you're doing online and generally that's, oh, I want that, so I'm going to that person. So naturally I feel like they all align, their goals, my goals. And sometimes people don't really completely know what they want because they don't know what they're good at yet. So people will have this idea that they want to do a particular thing, but then halfway through they're actually like, I'm really enjoying the the strength and conditioning stuff. So we just kind of keep doing that or we build on that. And I kind of just expose people depending on how long I have them for. And generally people train with me for either three or six months. So that's a nice amount of time to kind of expose them to a few different things. So 
it naturally kind of just flows from strength and conditioning to a little bit of skill or maybe a bit more mobility and then we kind of go back into a strength phase just that's how i've noticed it goes yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i've always kind of thought that well that's a lie i have thought more recently that most people when they come to you they kind of have a goal that they'll tell you because we'll always ask them like oh what what do you want out of this what's your goal and someone they'll tell you something Mm. their goal is generally like something along the lines of like i want to be more like you yeah like i want to be a bit of a savage or Mm. i want to like be fucking sick yeah and do shit yeah you know it's like like and they see like it's what you're expressing when they see you on the rings Mm -hmm. or when they see you doing a handstand they're not like i want a straddle handstand for 30 seconds yeah they're like i want to have like this mastery and this presence Mm -hmm. and this so in a way it's like the specifics of the training don't really matter Mm. you know what skill are we working on doesn't matter as long as we're moving towards this yeah mastery yeah you know however you want to kind of frame it Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I've spoken to you about it before. I think in the movement world, we get caught up on like the specifics of the training, the skill. And of course it's important to have the, you know, be specific about that. But for the, for the average person that comes to you, it's like just, yeah, like we don't need to overthink it. Yes. You know, and I, and I also think it's very easy in the movement world for us to think we need to like, you know, you've got to move them all towards the high skill stuff. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, nah, like sometimes, man, like basic strength work, body weight, lifting, like combination, mobility, like that's the f- that's great. Yeah. It's about fortifying the body and getting people feeling on the inside what happens on the outside. So they start getting strong and then that, that just trickles into how they feel about themselves and how they see themselves. And that is really the the crux that's what we're aiming for yeah so let's cut now to you got to sydney mm-hmm. um i understand you had uh, an experience with cancer was it at that time uh so that was 2021 march okay march 2021 okay so like yeah year and three quarters back yeah um tell me about that yeah, wild. <laughs> yeah. So I had a secretory carcinoma in my face on the left side. So just under my eye, kind of next to my the bridge of my nose. Uh, it was just like a little lump and I thought it was a cyst. And it had a weird border. And I was like, oh, maybe it's ruptured. I should probably get it removed. And then I went to the doctor for blood tests because I was doing carnivore diet. And I was like, I'm a human guinea pig so I want my bloods taken but then I actually just said to her oh I've also got this thing I want to get rid of and then that just started this process of everyone kind of not knowing what it was and then yeah it came back as cancer wow yeah so that particular cancer is like super rare or it's a new category so I was the 26th person in the world to be recorded with it absolutely yeah, yeah. Oh, if you're gonna do something, you do it right, man. Pioneer. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal? Like, how how is it that a new type of cancer comes about? Uh, I think they just create more subtypes. The more that they, I guess, the better their technologies get at 
identifying different subtypes. Right. But yeah, I didn't really look heaps into that. But yeah, so it was, it's kind of similar to breast cancer, but it was in my sweat gland. Okay. Mm. Um, how'd you feel at that point? Uh, so it was actually funny. I was getting the biopsy done because I got the ultrasound and they were like, oh, it doesn't look, looks odd. So got a biopsy where they just like do a little punch and they take a sample. And I was sitting in this uh, room and it was so sterile. It was so big. And I was like, oh, like, and it kind of hit me then. I was waiting for the doctor to come in and I was like, huh, like this is how it starts for people. Because leading up to that, I would tell people I'm, I'm getting a biopsy and everyone goes, oh, you'll be fine. It'll, it's not, it'll be nothing. Like you're young, you're healthy, won't be anything. And then I was just sitting there in this, this bed and it was like I just knew. I, just, I, I knew that it wasn't right. So it hadn't been confirmed what it, it was at that confirmed. stage. But you're like, this is something. Yeah, and, I, and I, I knew that because even leading up to it, I was just so – I wasn't anxious, but I was on my mind a lot and I was like pretty emotional about it. And usually I'm not that – like I'm not really a hypochondriac. Like I let things just heal as they are and that's the type of person I am. But then I remember like waiting for the results and just kind of just like an eeriness about it, like just like a knowing. Wow. Mm. And okay, and so then you find out that it's it's a form of cancer. Yes, yeah, and that was that was hard because you don't. There's just a million and one things that go through your mind, and nothing else matters past you know, until you find out where it is, what it is, has it spread? Because, like, everything kind of just goes on hold and, like, there's nothing else. Yeah, nothing else is really of importance until you have more answers. So it definitely put a perspective, a new perspective for me on what it felt like to be waiting for results because, I, as I said, I was working as a nurse in emergency. So I was working with people who were always waiting on results was nothing to me as bad as that sounds and then you're like you're like oh, relax the results yeah, are coming man yeah, yeah yeah and then just to feel that I'm like oh man so that was about two weeks where um yeah I didn't because I had to get the the scans um and then I had to wait for but in saying that everything happened very quickly so and everything kind of aligned really almost miraculously so i got the news at 5 p.m. and then the doctor called a specialist and who was like, yeah, if you come right now, I can see you. Otherwise, you have to wait X, Y, Z. So rushed there, saw him. He organized scans for the next day and then I got my scans, had to wait like a week or, or an, and a bit, like a week and a half. And then once I had that, I was in surgery like within a week. So once I got the news, I was in surgery within like two and a half weeks okay, or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it did, you know, young and having the big loaded C word over you actually moved things along quite quickly, but also things just aligned. But in that short period where you don't know really the extent, it's a really bizarre, bizarre feeling. Just like everything's up in the air, you know, and – I wasn't super emotional about it. Like I was, 
pretty and I had really good support systems like my partner at the time like amazing amazing human for me for that that period and then also family super supportive but you do find yourself kind of playing it down to people because you just don't want to put your shit on other people really so you're just there like it's fine you know it's all good and then in your head you're going through all these like worst case scenarios which is really odd to have yeah and like and you know once I had the surgery I was really lucky I didn't have any other treatments so it was really a different story to you know what a lot of other people face so but it was just this weird just like completely took my focus away from everything and it's probably the most present I've ever been in my life wow yeah there's a like a like a duality there like on your point about not wanting to put your shit on other people Mm. were there were there people that you were able to share your stuff with openly and like confiding or did you find or did you find that that was all like an internal thing it was largely internal I think that's actually when I started writing properly like I had a for the first time like a proper because I would always journal here and there but this is when I actually started really delving into the into the journaling and I just yeah it was like a I kind of figured I expanded on things that I didn't feel comfortable to share with people yet. So like the, you know, the finiteness of life and the possibility of not being here and all and having, you know, a terminal illness and just how things can change so suddenly. So I was kind of processing all that just through my words and... Yeah, some of it turned out really poetic as well. So there you go. Silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I gather there's been no ongoing ramifications of that. No. Wow. So it was like they do the surgery, mm-hmm. thing gets removed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was that like having, uh, having facial surgery as a young woman? Uh, yeah. It was, again, it became – it all was the best case scenario. So initially they were preparing me for like this full on like facelift thing where they were going to take this huge part of my face and then like essentially I would be getting a facelift. But then obviously there were complications like you might get swelling that never goes away. There might be a droop. You might not have nerve. You might have nerve issues and blah, blah, blah. So there was a bit to process there. And then when the um, when they saw my wound they said actually we think we can just do like a little graph and if you've ever seen a graph they're so odd because you can get a patch from say your like your thigh or like they take maybe from the abdomen and they put it on your face so it's a different color it'll always be a different color and sometimes it like grows hair so like you've got like a patch of like so it was just uh, excuse me and there was like many surgeries after that to flatten out to get it to be like the other you know to level it out right so it would have been a process to level out the graft yeah 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 because it kind of just goes on like a button and then over time they like 
take I don't know how they do it, but they take more off or they smooth it out or something. Oh wow. Yeah, so there's a bit of a process to it, but it'll always it would always look like a sticker, essentially. Right. Yeah, so So you didn't have that done? I didn't end up having that done, but I woke up with like a drawing on my abdomen but that nothing had been taken. So I th- what they said to me was that the tissues had healed enough that they were able to just close it. But wow. it was a lot of tension in my face for a while. Yeah, right. It was like three layers of stitches and, yeah, I've actually got this gnarly photo of like the, the stitches from like the just under the, my eye all the way down to like the top of my lip. I've seen that on your yeah. Instagram. Look like a badass. <laughs> yeah, man, it's gangster. And you got like a black eye as well, don't you? Yeah, and it was just all the bruising. really gaunt as well because, like, yeah, obviously they take out – yeah, it was – so it was confronting, but I don't know, it made me fall in love with myself in a different way. And I, I don't know, maybe it's the Aquarian in me, but I really embrace the uniqueness. I, I like not being, you know, a cookie cutter. So it kind of fit my personality in a way. To, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, not many people, unless I tell them, can actually see the scar so, which I was actually kind of low-key upset about. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I went through all this and it's not going to, I don't have a bigger scar. Um, no, nah, but I was, it was confronting, but I actually, it didn't really bother me as much as one might think it would. Yeah. You've kind of articulated already some, like you've articulated a, an exceptional kind of attitude in dealing with tough things because you've already kind of pointed out a couple of things that were like like real, real positives that came from that mm. experience, which I think for a lot of people listening would be refreshing and like, holy shit, like how do you take something that's shit and make it good? Um, looking at that experience and kind of thinking about your role as a coach – and even considering like, you know, what you do, like teaching people to do chin-ups and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, like overcoming challenge, right? Mm-hmm. What do you, what are the, like, what has it taught you and what are you, like, what are the lessons that you wish, you know, you could pass on to someone else? Mm. Yeah, I guess these are lessons that you just have to feel and experience and everyone does get the opportunity to. And as you say, you get to choose how you walk away from it. I guess for me personally, when I was, going through all this stuff I took a keen interest on in like Frederick Nietzsche and Carl Jung and they really were impactful for me to the understand the importance of experiencing pain and how you could almost say it's like a birthright in a way because really good things can happen from painful situations arguably more so than really good ones it's like exponential growth it's like paying for a coach it like fast tracks you it's like but you have to be really conscious and aware of the process and it doesn't mean that you have to love every minute of it, it doesn't doesn't mean that you're like yes give me more pain but like you have to be looking for the gold and it's not really that hard to find do you think there are painful experiences 
that is there any painful experience that doesn't have a silver lining like that maybe really horrible things that other people do to other people maybe that's probably hard to see the silver lining and also because I haven't been in that situation myself um but like cruelty at the hand of another person that seems pretty hard to find the silver lining however there are many people that come out and they're exceptional leaders from the horrible circumstances that they came from so can you really avoid that kind can you can you avoid and what it, like how do you even put them against each other you know what i mean like it's like what is good and what is bad like how can you it's like a whole nother topic so it's like ugh. i get undone there because i could just talk for hours about that kind of thing but i i think that some situations may be harder to find the silver lining just because of how cruel it can be to someone who's innocent yeah 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 like uh yeah of course like a child being taken away from a parent or something like that that you're like yeah what's positive about that experience yeah like there is something yeah but it's perhaps not appropriate to (laughs) try to articulate that right now yeah yeah yeah. and you don't yeah and i think it's i asked the question because it's um because yeah it's such an interest like i think we all think about those things and then you think about and naturally when you're thinking about those sorts of ideas of like having a negative experience and taking the best from it and and how you respond to it naturally your mind goes towards uh fuck i don't i hope i'm not like i don't want to be offending people that have been through horrible shit yeah legitimately terrible stuff Mm -hmm. but the case is still the same that there's yeah there is always something there yeah there's always something that you're going to have to overcome in this life i just don't think anyone gets out unscathed but then in saying that because it happens to everyone then is there not something in that like that's a it's a part of the human experience tell me about um the spiritual side of what i see little glimpses of on your social media i see crystals yes i see feathers yes candles (laughs) Yeah, lots of candles. I'm always looking for the Ouija board. I'm like, when's the Ouija board going to pop up nah. here? When are we doing the seance? I don't fuck with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, yuck. What, um, um, yeah, well, tell me about that side of your life. Yeah, so I was brought up in a religious home, so super Christian. My dad's a pastor and my brother is also a pastor. So I Christian school, church every Sunday, youth group Friday. So You guys call that hub club? No, youth group. We called uh, youth group was called was called hub club. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> I went to it once or twice, and then I realized, oh, we actually have to do religious shit here. So yeah, I never went back. yeah. No, I mean, I was pretty lucky because I grew up in the Pentecostal world, so that's like happy clappy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Lots of like good yeah, vibes. Yeah, good vibes. Like lots of. Is that Hillsong? Is that Pentecostal? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So our youth group was actually really fun because like we'd have like tribal warfare games and they were wild but yeah so that side of things was actually actually kind of beautiful so I guess spirituality has always been kind of in my life and 
what you see and what I share is just an expression of how I have kind of, you know, made it something that makes sense to me. So, you know, you've got to step out of the the parental guidance and way of life and you make your own way. And so this is kind of how I've taken some of the aspects that I love dearly of my upbringing and then but left the other ones that I that were maybe more negative is there a um, is it a religious thing is there a god like is there a faith in a god uh yeah yeah I guess you could say but it's not like for me it's not the god of the baptist church or the god of the I kind of see it as more esoteric Oh. Yeah, esoteric. So it's more like energy and, yeah, I still think a lot about these things. Like I definitely don't have any formative like, yes, this is my belief system and this is the God that I believe in, but I definitely believe in something greater than ourselves. Yeah. I like that. Mm. I can – that resonates. Mm. It's – um. Yeah, so do you see it in a way that the that in a sense like it's almost applying like some of the structures of religion but rather than going like, yeah, it's like a guy that's in the sky and yeah. his spirit he's gonna come back and mm-hmm. it's more just like this respect for something that goes beyond our sort of yeah physical selves. Also helps me connect to that more primal way of feeling and existing in this world that sometimes feels like it's evolved quicker than humans have so i think it just grounds me to have something like a ritual you know ritual practices and and things that it's like a devotion it's like training you know you have a container which is the program and then the stronger you that you get in those movements or the more devoted you are so the more you show up the more freedom that will give so it's the same thing for me. It's like showing up in those spaces and making everything sacred then creates more flow for me. Are those are the rituals, is this something that you share with others or do you tend to do, is that like solo practice? It's usually solo, but I, I have shared them with people, yeah, if it feels good. And how do, like, how do other folks, <laughs> how do they engage with it? You know, I actually... People love it. People, because it speaks to something that they don't usually tune into. It's like, feels really good to honor, you know, the places that we've come from, the people that we came from, you know, our ancestors, the land, the people that were on the land long before, you know, it's just, it's such a, it, brings you into something that is greater and I think without giving you like this hectic purpose like you have to go save everyone but it it gives you context sometimes in in a in a world that is just so full of so much noise it just feels like it like cuts through and it's like ah like can't even explain what you get or what you feel 
because you, you just are in that moment. You're, you're present. Bring, it makes people present, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I can understand what you're getting at. Mm. Um, the I just watched, uh, probably a bit silly to kind of mention in the, at this point, but I just watched a Netflix series, Ancient Apocalypse. Mm. You seen it? Graham mm-hmm. Hancock? Anyways. I, I've listened to the podcast. I'm okay. yet to, I just need to re-download Netflix. Yeah, right on. Yeah. So it's really cool. It's just kind of like a, a more action-packed, abbreviated yeah. version of his kind of theory that there was an ancient an intelligent civilization that existed way before we history kind of acknowledges that they did. Mm. And it's all about um, connection to the stars and Mm. the earth and Mm -hmm. patterns and passing on knowledge. And and when you're watching it, like my mind goes like, I'm, I'm, I'm all in, right? Like I believe this shit. And I go, you know, like, Oh man, like, yeah, we are, we are connected to this Mm -hmm. thing. And it kind of, I think it gives me a little bit of that feeling Mm. of like, all this other bullshit that we concern ourselves with doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and you you watch, you're hearing about and thinking about what our ancestors' lives might have looked like and they're, you know, they're worshipping the stars, they're worshipping, like, Mm. serpents and shit and you're like, yeah, because the serpents represent comets that Mm. fucking destroyed civilized, like, just basic stuff that is almost, like, survival and um, connection and, Mm. like, the life. Mm-hmm. versus now we just don't have to worry about any of that stuff which is great but the trade-off is we kind of lose our connection to this whole i don't know this whole like planet that we're on and mm, this like, universe that we're in yeah you lose connection to the the things that you can only feel yeah yeah in summary of that what do you is this a daily practice or do you do weekly like is it structured in that way uh mm, i'm not very good with structure (laughs) in that Uh, in that sense like i have i I like to go with the moon i like to work with the moon um because it just feels yeah like if you think about how the moon controls the tides and we're made up of what 80 percent water or something like that something like that yeah so i feel pretty connected to the moon phases and also helps me direct goals as well and then my cycle as well wherever I'm at in my cycle kind of depicts what I focus in on or what I what kind of ritual I guess I partake in but sometimes it's just like lighting a candle with dinner and being present in the moment with myself and whoever else is there like making the everyday tasks actually really beautiful and celebrated. Uh, that's that's a ritual for me. But then, like, maybe it'll be a full moon and I'm like, I want to burn some shit. So then I do, like, a full-on little thing, little thing for myself. Like a pyre? Or are we talking, like, a little fire? Like- uh, it depends where I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, some yeah, sometimes it's just, like, in a little abalone shell. And I just burn some herbs and some. I write some things on paper and burn that. And I guess it's just this understanding that words are spells. Words are, you know, what we think, our thought forms. They're all, it's not woo-woo. It's just that is what will come. So if you think constantly bad things, bad things will probably constantly happen to you. Same with 
if you think good things or if you consciously let things go or if you yeah and I just use the seasons and the moon and my cycle to kind of work with that already universal truth that like whatever you're vibing will vibe you it's it's like pretty simple but also not simple where did you get the in regards to your cycle mm-hmm. where did you my understanding is that women's sort of menstrual cycle hasn't typically been acknowledged much yeah in western civilization it's kind of just like whatever you get they, you know they get a bit you know you get um pmt beforehand and yeah. then and so it's kind of carried over to like everything like in the strength training realm mm-hmm. we don't really give it any consideration no and um I've done a couple of podcasts on this with, you know, talking with women who are kind of more experts in that field, mm. talking about the need for that, right? Because yep. it's, it's obviously a very significant part of a woman's experience. Um, where did you kind of catch on that that was something significant in your life? So I was actually on this contraception rod thing for the better half of four years. The one in the arm? Yeah. 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 Uh, possibly even three. Anyway, uh, I yeah, so I was I had no connection to my cycle. I didn't even have one really for like four years, and then I started getting more interested in women's group events. So I think my first one was nude yoga, <laughs> going balls deep. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and then it was I joined like a dance group which was called Eclectica, or still is, and. We learnt choreography that we would perform at the end, but throughout the whole thing we also learnt about, you know, things that society hasn't really taught us as women. And, yeah, it was a bit more esoteric, but it was still really pivotal to my healing as well. So we learnt about doing life with your cycle in mind. So it didn't really start off in a training sense. It was more like, hey, do you know that, you feel and experience different things at different times in the month and like you can have a beautiful connection and obviously I can't speak for women who have complications like endo and stuff like that that's different but I really wanted to connect to my cycle because I just hadn't really done it in the past and I was surrounded by all these women who were so empowered with it and by it and they knew what their body needed when they needed like at what at different times as well, even to the point of like, oh, I don't really socialize in this week because I'm just a write-off. Like I do, I spend my time, my time is better spent creating and, you know. So I guess my first contextualization of my cycle was through the seasons. So you've got your winter time, which is when you're bleeding, and then you come into summer. Wait, is that right? Yeah, uh, summer. Winter into spring. Spring, okay. Then you have your spring and then you have summer. Summer's like when you're ovulating. Yep. And then you go autumn and then descending back into winter. Okay. Yeah, so that's how I And that sort of plays out over roughly a 30-day yeah. period. Yeah, but when I was coming off my rod, I actually was – I had like a 50 to 60-day cycle. So it means like it was really grueling because like by the end like you're – ready to like release this whole like two months but it helped me to work with like the moon while I was getting my cycle back 
Um, but that was a process in itself. So as soon as I came off the rod, that was like months of just my hormones being so out of whack. Um, and then, yeah, and then once it started to regulate, I just really appreciated being in the know and having this power and autonomy over my body because, you know, we're taught to kind of fear, even to the point of, oh, you you need to always have protection or you need to always have, like, your your birth control and stuff. But there's actually, like, four or five days in the whole entire cycle that you can get pregnant. But we're not taught that. Right. We're taught You can get fear. pregnant any time. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like fear. And then also you have an issue with your skin. Just just take this contraception. This helps with skin. Or just do this. And it, it was actually just like, yeah, It the more that I kind of was learning about it the more disturbed I was at just how even the even the little sugar pills in the pack they were just they were made up because women were un didn't feel good about the fact that they wouldn't wouldn't bleed during taking the pills so you're not actually having a period it like it's it's not menstrual it's like not the menstrual process but it's like they invented that secondary because people didn't trust that they weren't bleeding once a month like if they didn't take a pill for because there's sugar pills in for how many of the cycle it's like five days right but um yeah it's not like a it's not like a proper like menstrual bleed i don't know the the thing but i just know that like it was invented after to get people to trust it more Oh, so there is still a bleed that occurs when you're on the pill. If you take it, the sugar pills. Right. Or you, or you can just skip them and you just don't get a period. Right. But it wouldn't... It, Why does the sugar pill initiate a bleed? I forget. Yeah, right. I'd have to look back in, but I know that it's have not... you studied this shit? No, okay, <laughs> but fascinating. Yeah, so it's just... Yeah, and I guess I didn't put heaps and heaps of time and I'm only kind of starting to revisit these things now because it's something I feel passionate about sharing with women. But I didn't really feel like I needed lots of evidence you know once I started delving into this and I didn't really feel like I needed to go research I just started doing what felt right and it didn't really require me researching it just I was like it just feels good to basal temperature check like keep everything because that's how I I check mine I check my temperature every morning so over time I have a really accurate understanding of when I'm going to bleed, when I'm ovulating, you know, all those things. And it's just stuff that you're not really empowered with as a young woman to – it's not an option. You're not given that option. How fascinating. Yeah. It makes perfect sense that you don't don't need to research it. Like this is your body that Mm. you're living in. Mm. So, of course, like going off how you feel and some um, guidance from different people, like it totally makes Mm. sense. Yeah, I think the so the the thingy the app that I use is Natural Cycles, and they have like really cool studies that show there's no really not much difference between the success rate in checking your basal temperature or um, taking the pill. It's like pretty much the same effectiveness. It is actually in terms of contraception. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in preventing pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I forget the question from the start. Well, that wasn't really a specific question there. 
Man, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I think it's a really cool message. Um, after talking with you know other people on the podcast about it recently, I'm like, fuck, this is such a realm that is just mm. not explored. Mm. And of course, there are those people that contraception is an absolute godsend for. Yeah. You know, I know, I know some women who are like, no, like the pill fucking changed my life for the better. It's like, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's great to know, like, hey, that it's you don't. There doesn't have to be pharmaceutical intervention. Mm-hmm. There's there's other shit, and and perhaps there's things to be learned from allowing yourself to experience whatever naturally occurs. Mm, and just having a being more in tune, it forces you to know your body more. But yeah. In terms of training, that's been interesting. To I haven't really implemented different training according to different parts of my cycle, but I think I just have an awareness of when, like, I can really push for, like, one RMs, like, day two. So that's, like, I'm still, like, on my period, but I'm feeling really energised and strong and, like, for a week. And then, like, you're more endurance-based, like, the closer you get to the end and you're more flexible in the middle. Like, it's, yeah, so there's little things that you start picking up on. But I guess it's also different for everyone. But, yeah. Tell me where people can connect with your work. Like, you've got a couple of different coaching things going on. Mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. plug all that stuff right now? Yeah, I can. So I have one-on-one coaching, which is, yeah, either online or in person. Again, reach out to me on Instagram there. And that's, yeah, pretty personalised to specific goals um, that you're wanting to chase. Otherwise, I have a School of Flex group, which I just started. Well, actually, we're just finishing our first one, but we do mobility and handstands. And in the new year, I want to make two. So I want to have a rings and mobility and a handstand and mobility one. Sick. So again, just reaching out in the group. School of Flex. Mm. Um, I'll put a link to your Instagram in the show notes. Is that the best place to get you? Yeah, Instagram's good. Yep. I have a qualifier form in my link me thing, link me tree. Yep. But you can either just drop me a DM or fill out one of those forms. That's awesome. Mm. Like a little sort of questionnaire. Yeah. Matt. Yep. Um, and you're based out of here down at Jungle Brothers. I am. Jungle Botany. I am. Should say sick. You're here most of the time. Mm-hmm. You Part co- of the furniture. How many classes are you coaching here? I coach two on Tuesday morning, then... Two with Dylan Monday evening and then Thursday body weight and yeah, that's it. And uh, what's your handle on Instagram? Movement enthusiast. Is that changing at some point? Or no? Possibly. Are you sticking with that for a while? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, cool. Might change. Okay. Things in the things are in the works. <laughs> yeah, right on. <laughs> yeah. Mate, thanks for um thanks for sharing all that today. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool to learn more about you. Mm. Um, and I'm excited to see where the School of Flex and, you know, all your coaching stuff goes. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, and for folks listening, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch, obviously check out Chloe's link in the show notes or come down to the gym and meet her in person. Um, hey, if you are listening to the show, big thing you can do for us, it is the season for giving, is to go and share the podcast with someone else. So if you think you know someone that would benefit from hearing that discussion, please share the episode with them. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you all.